a woman wrote into us and she said she wanted to go to all the parks and what's the secret? I guess she she meant the secret to having somebody else pay for it. So there there was no secret. We, we don't have a secret. If anyone has a secret That's out right. there, please let us know. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we traveled to all of the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. We're taking a little break now to do a few of our favorite summer hikes, camping, and wilderness backpacking. But we'll be back with new full-length episodes in September. In the meantime, though, we wanted to record this bonus episode to answer some of the most frequently asked questions we get from readers and listeners about how much it costs to visit all of the national parks and how best to plan a trip to see them all. We hope you enjoy this summer extra. So, Matt, you realize that this bonus episode is kind of like one big giant mailbag. I know you like the mailbag. I love the mailbag. Just change the name of the podcast to <laughs> Carrie's Mailbag. Can we do that, Carrie? I think we could. K, K- Gold. Yeah. K- Gold mailbag. I, we should start another podcast. We should. I like answering these questions. And actually, what we're going to talk about today. The one question, how much does it cost to go to all the national parks? We have been asked that question for about the last 10 years or so, haven't we? Yes. We we just recorded the one billionth instance of people asking us how much mm-hmm. it costs to go to all the national parks. And and first of all, we should say, and, and we get this reaction often, a lot of times from rangers, that they'll say, well, you know – there's more than 62 national parks. And yes, we know there, there's more than 400 national park site units. And they're spectacular. But we're talking about the, the national park, national parks. And that, yes. that's what a lot of people seem to want to visit all of those. Right. Now, there are a few people who have been to every single national park unit, over 400, and I'd love to hear how they did it. But today, we're just going to talk about how we did it. And the other thing we're going to discuss also is uh, people want to know how they can start planning for it. They want to see the parks in their lifetime and wondering if we have any advice about how they can work towards that goal. We have some advice. <laughs> we do. We've learned some things by doing mm-hmm. every everything wrong, so we can tell you what not to do. And, and a, a lot of times the question is about cost. Right. Like how, how the heck uh, did you pay for it, and how, mm-hmm. how much does it cost? And when I when when you look at the cost, it really breaks down into a few big categories. I mean, first the the biggest one is getting there, get the to and from. So that's your travel cost. You can also talk about uh, when you're there at the park, where you're going to stay. So that's whether camping or hotels. or The third category would be what you're going to do in the park. So you could just go to an overlook and look over. You can camp, you can hike, or you can do tours. And we'll talk about some of those uh, tours and tickets. And then the fourth category is meals. Now, so trying to break down that list a little bit. And, of course, everybody does it differently. And that that's, you know, that's something that we have to take into account is some people will drive every place, some people will fly, some people will camp. So we're going to try to just break this down. Let's talk about meals first. <laughs> yeah, well, the meals is probably the easiest category because that's personal preference. You can do what we did, eat uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and cheeses. Now, we, we get a lot of responses about you guys just ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all the time. No, we actually didn't. We talk about a lot in our books, but that's what we eat when we hike because peanut butter and jelly sandwiches don't spoil. But, uh, you know, we had beer and pizza and sometimes we would eat at a hotel or a lodge. But I've looked at other people's accountings of their cost for going to all the national parks and the difference between eating in restaurants and eating going to a grocery store and eating out of your car, it, there is a difference, but it's not its not the biggest difference of cost mm-hmm. when, when looking at, at traveling to all the national parks. Right. 
we're not huge fans of fancy restaurants. If you've read our books, you know that. So we ate a lot of, went to a lot of pizza places, breweries, sat at the bar a lot, ordered happy hours. So our food costs were actually fairly low. Plus, we'd always, when we drove, we'd have a cooler. We'd bring our own beer and wine, and uh, and we'd bring our own snacks. So you know, we tried to keep the food cost down. That that wasn't the big one. For yeah, we don't us. we don't have a whole lot of suggestions <laughs> on the meals. the The next category, the the cost when you're there, the cost of tours and tickets. I, I will say, in general, that when we did tours and took boat rides or, or whatever we did in the national park, I can't even remember a time where I thought that just wasn't worth the expense. You, right. you go I to agree. all the trouble and mm-hmm. effort to get to the park, and then you know you, you're not going to save thirty bucks on a ranger-led tour to a fantastic place. That I, I think those are well spent, but but also there's not a lot of tips in terms of saving money on those. They they kind of are what they are. Right, and and as Matt said, I think it's a great way to spend your money because you can see things you wouldn't otherwise get to see, especially in parks like Mesa Verde. There are extra tours and Carlsbad Caverns. There are extra tours and the tickets are well worth it. And then some of the places like Kenai Fjords, we took that all day boat tour with the all you can eat salmon dinner. And I remember that was pricey, but you want to be out on the water and see the glacier. So uh, Yeah, and, and same way with Glacier Bay mm-hmm. National Park. We took a, a boat mm-hmm. tour of that, and yeah, that wasn't cheap, but that is really the only way to see that entire park. You could kayak. Sure, um, sure. But you're not going to see – same area that you see with the with the boat tour, mm-hmm. but we're just we're mentioning it. So if you're making a budget, you can make sure and add the tours and tickets into the cost of your budget. Yeah, and then the where to stay. Uh, we talked a little bit about this. There's you know everywhere from sleeping on a couch with friends to sleeping in your car to camping to the Hampton Inns to the resorts. Right. I mean that's mm-hmm. the spectrum of cost. And again, that's a personal preference. That was a big expense for us. It it was a big Mm -hmm. expense. And there there were times when we incurred bigger expenses because we kind of felt like it was once in a lifetime thing. For instance, the Awani Hotel. Mm -hmm. That was over $500 a night. And so we just decided we're going to, we want to stay there one night. And that's not a cost that you have to incur if you're going to go to Yosemite. Right. Um, But that's, kind of an, was an add-on for us. And people used to ask us all the time when they heard that we went to the national parks, they said, uh, did you do it in an RV? I think that's what people have in their mind. And I remember that you researched that because we had originally thought about renting an RV to go to all the parks. And, and it, it, the it, math didn't work out. Well, it, it was okay, but it wasn't less expensive than the motelling it mm-hmm. the the Hampton Inns the Comfort Inns the Holiday Inns it was it kind of works out the same because you do have you have the cost of of the RV itself whether you buy it or rent it you have the cost of the the, the campsites and things like that so it's a different experience mm-hmm. and and we've we've done a podcast episode on this we we loved our RV rental experience so that one is not so much of a cost decision. It's more of what, what kind of experience do you want to have? Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're both fine. There, there are times when we do a 10-mile hike in the desert and we're exhausted. And it is nice to come back to a motel room that has air conditioning. And you lay on the bed and take a nap. And, and that's different than mm-hmm. you know if you were camping, right? Or you have your tent out there and it's 100 degrees. So it's about the experience more than the cost. So there's a huge difference between if you're tent camping or if you're staying in the Awani. And there's everything in between, right? And now on the fourth category, the getting to the parks, the to and from travel expense. That, that's the biggest cate- category of expense. And one way to save a little bit on those, or actually in, in some cases to save a lot, is in your planning. If you're going to travel all the way across the country to go to this one park, then it makes sense to hit some others on the way or other parks that might be close by. And and this might sound like just obvious common sense, but uh, if you haven't done it before, it it can kind of be intimidating to be looking at a map of of all these parks and, and trying to figure out which ones to go to. And so we'll talk later in this episode 
about how we grouped the parks and mm-hmm. how we did how we did several parks at once, and that can save some of your to and from costs. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there are a lot of logistics, obviously, in the transportation part of it. Just for an example, when we visited Isle Royal National Park, I mean, we had to take, we took a flight to Minneapolis, then we rented a car, then we had to drive all the way to northern Minnesota, then we stayed in a, a hotel there, then we took a boat, an all-day boat ride to the island, and then we stayed in a lodge there. So when you add up the plane, the rental car, the boat to the island, the lodge, that's a lot. It's right. expensive. So a lot to think about. Airfare, rental cars, boats, gas, all those things add up into the whole, how are you going to get their piece of it? The, the one big question we mm-hmm. get is, <laughs> how much did it cost? And we never answer this question because we've always felt like it's irrelevant how much we spent. Uh, it's more relevant to you, how you're going to do it and what your costs are. But we'll, we'll give you some some numbers and we'll use some examples of, of what other people have, have said their costs were. And another reason we haven't been telling people how much it costs is because – it's not cheap. It's not inexpensive. And we didn't want to discourage people from doing this. So that's, yeah. that's one reason. And, and everyone's costs will be different. So before we get into what we spent, let's talk about, because as Matt said, it was a lot of money. And before we talk about that, let's talk about, we found a blog post by a couple who also quit their jobs and went to all the parks. They did it in a year. And they did it as cheaply, I think, as two people could do it. Uh, Now, their names are Lauren and Stephen. And what they did was they bought a used van and they took out the seat so they could sleep in it. So they traveled in their van and they slept in their van, cooked their meals, and they showered at uh, – they bought a membership to Planet Fitness and they took showers there. So it was interesting. They have a website. They broke down all their expenses. And for them to go to all the parks, they spent $37,000. On their website – they have a blog post where where they give some more detail. When I looked at that, it looked like forty to forty five percent of that cost was travel to or expenses related to the ten to twelve most expensive places to go. So that's another thing to to figure. If you want to go to American Samoa, where there's a national park. That's not an inexpensive trip. And so it could be you could get to 50 of the 62 parks for considerably less Mm -hmm. than that 37,000. The most expensive parks, without a doubt, are American Samoa, the eight parks in Alaska, Virgin Islands, and even the two Hawaii parks that can be expensive to get to Hawaii and to stay in Hawaii. So as Matt was saying, outside of the lower 48, that's where you will spend a bulk of your money. So for instance, the eight parks in Alaska, our costs were all 10 years ago. So I'm not sure how relevant those are now. But I looked on the Katmai website and I pulled up some costs for that. Katmai National Park, where uh, you can go bear watching. We had a whole episode on that. So a, a double room there at at the lodge costs $800 for one night for two people. Then if you throw in three meals a day, that's another 160 The flights from Anchorage to the park are about $1,800 for two people. So if you add those up, for two people to have one day in Katmai, that's about $3,000. And of course, that doesn't include your flights to and from Anchorage. Those can be expensive. And you, you'll you have to have at least one night hotel in Anchorage, possibly two. So if you add all that up, you can see how Katmai could easily be $4,000 for one day. And when we did Lake Clark National Park, it was about $3,000. Yeah. And that was room. That was also – so that was two nights. It was room and board, and it also included a flight to Twin Lakes where Dick Prenicke's cabin is. So the you know the float plane took us out there. We had a guide with us. We spent a couple hours, and so they're back. So that's another $3,000 park mm-hmm. up in Bettles, Alaska, where we had to go north of the Arctic Circle 
to get to visit gates of the Arctic and Kobuk Valley. That was that was not inexpensive, but just the plane we chartered a plane to fly us to Kobuk Valley and gates of the Arctic. That was a couple thousand dollars to to charter that plane for a day to go to those parks. And again, that's a lot of money, but after you do it, you think, boy, that was that was worth it. It's priceless. So. Alaska can be expensive. American Samoa can be expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly the Hawaii parks are. Right. So you can see how this couple who did it as frugally as they could possibly do spent almost $40,000. All right. So now that we've sort of (laughs) talked about the lower end, we'll talk about our expenses, uh, which, you know, were on the higher end because we stayed in hotels. So Matt, you sort of were keeping track of it. What was... uh, Well, I didn't really keep track of it, which might be a surprise to people, but it was it was over a hundred thousand dollars. I can't say that you know might have been a hundred and eight hundred and ten people might be surprised that we don't have an exact accounting, but it was not cheap and of course, keep in mind that was ten years ago right. well eight eight to ten depending on when we went to which parks and people will ask us, well, how did you pay for it? I th- think sometimes people feel that. We had sponsors or we had some other source of income. Really, none of that's true. We just, we had savings and that's how we chose to use our savings. And so, you know, even today, we don't have sponsors. Right. We do make royalties off of our books. When we read the reviews, uh, the first reviews that came out about Dear Bob and Sue, people had said, wow, these people must have either won the lottery or or received a huge inheritance to pay for this. And neither one of those was true. As Matt said, we had just saved our money and that's what we spent it on. And then um, the other thing too is a woman wrote into us and she said she wanted to go to all the parks and what's the secret? I guess she she meant the secret to having somebody else pay for it. So there there was no secret. We, we don't have a secret. If anyone has a secret that's out right. there, please let us know. Or if if anyone would like to pay for our travel, please yeah, that would be great. Because we, yeah. we continue to travel. <laughs> that's right. So that's how we paid for it. That's how much it costs. Now, a couple things to keep in mind. I know it's a huge number, and it, it sort of shocks me every time I hear it. But some of our travel we would have done anyway. For instance. When we went to Cuyahoga Valley, which is um, in Ohio, it's not very easy to get to. We were going to a wedding in Michigan. Our our friends, Bob and Sue, their daughter was getting married. So we flew to Michigan, went to the wedding, rented a car, and drove to Cuyahoga. So we did that a lot. We tag-teamed our visits onto places we were going to go anyway for weddings and vacations. So some of the cost that we incurred, we would have spent anyway. Yeah, you can also figure that... Some of your eating expenses, um, you might be going on vacations anyway. If you weren't on a journey to all the national parks, you're going to have those anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, you could add up every dollar it costs to go to the parks. Some of those expenses you're going to have anyways. We went to 62 parks, let's say average three days uh, in each park, which – is about right, and then that's that's probably too quick to do it. That's 180 days of just food expense right, that you're right. going to have anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people have told us they're going to see all the parks in the lower 48, and I, that's a fantastic idea. So, you know, I think we should talk for a second. Is it a, a good idea to visit all the parks to well, to you know to incur those expenses? Right. We, well, we talked about this a little bit before. Going to the 62 national parks is an arbitrary goal anyway. You could say, I, I want to go to all the state parks in my state. I, I want to go to all 400-plus national park units. So this idea of just stating I'm going to go to all these places on this list, I, my suggestion is to give some thought to the list. Mm-hmm. It might be better to go to the your 50 favorite places – Maybe they're not all national parks, but include some really interesting other national park units or other public lands. Or Give some thought to that so you get your the, the best value for your money. Now, having said that, you don't always know how interested you're going to be in that place until you see it. Right. So I would also, on the other side, caution a little bit not to necessarily put all the places on the list that you think you're sure you'd like to see. 
some of the places that we thought were amazing, we didn't even know about before. We, we had never heard of Katmai National Park before we went there. And had we thought, well, that's the side of a, an extinct volcano, not really sure we want to go see that, and we crossed it off the list, we would have missed a huge opportunity. Definitely. So as we go into, we're going to talk about some planning now. And just, just to keep in mind as you're planning, we've, we've said this before that we missed a lot of great sites within the parks because we went so fast, our journey. And as we said, you know, we had limited time in the parks because it's expensive and the lodges are expensive. So you can, you know, we told you we spent $100,000 and some of our visits were too short and we should have spent even longer there. Uh, and the other thing we've also mentioned before is that we we missed a lot of great places close to the parks because we were focused on the national parks. So there could there were like really cool national monuments and state parks and things right next to national parks that we skipped right over because or, or we drove drove right past exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, so as you're planning, keep those things in mind too when you have your sights set on seeing all the parks. So we're going to talk about some planning now. The planning is going to be different depending on your age, obviously. We we've gotten some letters from people in their 20s who want to see all the parks in their lifetime, and they're asking us how they can plan that. We've also received emails from people who are retired in their 60s. They want to see the parks in the next couple of years while they still can. So we're going to kind of broadly talk about this. One thing we did when we started planning is, first, I went to Wikipedia and looked up the list of the national parks, (laughs) which was a little bit of a surprise to me because I didn't, didn't know Uh, even the names of all of them. Mm -hmm. So we're assuming that you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're a little bit better organized (laughs) and and already looked at the list. But to to get a map of the United States and surrounding areas uh, to just see geographically where all these places are, you can buy a U.S. wall map and put it on the wall and put pins or, or dots on all the parks, or you can get what I did is I just downloaded a, a map of all the national parks, and, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes where you can get that. I just put it in PowerPoint and, and do it electronically so that I have what, one less physical thing to keep track of. But when you do this, you'll start to see that there are parks you know, in clusters. They're, they're parks close to each other. If you go to Yellowstone National Park, you got to go to Grand Teton. They're just right next to each other. So that's that's one thing. And that also helps you determine as you're doing travel anyway in the future, whether it's a family wedding or, you know, visiting friends or business trips, where where the parks are that you're, you're going to be close to. Mm-hmm. In in the future. Right, right. Also, you can start estimating your costs right now. So you have an idea how to budget for the future. You know, you can look up how much the boat costs to Isle Royale and Dry Tortugas and Channel Islands. You know, you can estimate your airfare and lodging. You can start getting a handle on the costs now. So it's not, you know, some big surprise when you decide to go to all the national parks. When you do that. So whether it's a spreadsheet or a Word document or hacking just be, you know, paper and pen on a, on a notebook, you also want to look at is simply the, the landscape and, and elevation of the parks mm-hmm. because it was a surprise to us how many of these parks, particularly the mountain ones, at elevation, you're just not going to visit them in certain months. If you like snow sports or you like doing snow activities – that's great, but if you like doing summer activities like hiking, you don't want to go to some of these mountainous parks until you know that the snow has melted. And so we live in the Seattle area where we have Rainier and Olympic and North Cascades, and often we get messages from people who say, well, we're coming to the Seattle area in May, and we want to do some hikes in the mountains. And it's <laughs> like you're not going to hike in these mountains in May because it's still winter. There's still right. there still could be five feet of snow mm-hmm. on the trails, and and summer 
usually, this isn't every year, but usually summer doesn't really start in the Pacific Northwest until about Mm mid-July. And then, of course, everyone and their brother is and dog is out there (laughs) hiking the trails at the same time. But uh, those that's another thing to list by each park. What's the ideal time for you to visit that park? Exactly. And and the opposite would go for those desert parks, you know, Death Valley and and uh, some of the ones in Utah and southern Arizona. You know, you don't want to go there in the summer. And if you have kids and you're taking your kids to all the national parks, you know, maybe you work around a spring break or a winter break because it's, you know, going to be 110 degrees there. So I think keeping notes about the optimal time to visit is hugely important. Okay, so we probably need to be moving on. <laughs> let's let's talk about some of those clusters of parks. I know you did a really great job, I think, when we went organizing these visits. Yeah, and this, this is in no particular order, but one area I, I would call the Northern Plains or the mountains, which is, you know, if you look at Yellowstone, like we said, Yellowstone and Grand Teton are right next to each other. But Glacier in northwestern Montana is not that far away from Yellowstone. So sometimes if you're there in Yellowstone to drive up to Glacier, it makes sense. Uh, If you're going east of Yellowstone to visit the Black Hills, which is an incredible place, you've got Wind Cave, you've got Badlands, and oftentimes when we're in South Dakota, it North Dakota is so close we go up to Teddy Roosevelt. Right. And so that's that's a little bit of a cluster. It's it's there's a lot of driving between those, but the other thing I think to point out is how many cool places there are around those. Like if you're going to go to Wind Cave, definitely go to Jewel Cave. Right. It, it, it's mm-hmm. it's close by. And Mount Rushmore. And and Mount Rushmore or Devil's Tower. All of the Black Hills, including Custer State Park, are fantastic. So the mistake we made, we went to Badlands National Park on our original trip, and we never went to Custer State Park. I, mean, I think we just, I we drove through it in 20 minutes. So, yeah. And it's one of the most incredible state parks we've ever been. Yeah. So another cluster would be Utah, northern Arizona. So many great parks. I mean, you have the National Park, Zion, Bryce, Capitol Reef, Arches, and Canyonlands. You've also got the Grand Canyon and Petrified Forest in Arizona, Great Basin in Nevada, and then so many national monuments. Natural Bridges, Hovenweep. You've got Monument Valley, Wapatki. Antelope Canyon, Horseshoe Bend, some incredible state parks like Goblin Valley and Dead Horse Point. So the whole Utah and northern Arizona, that that would be at least a month-long road trip. Yeah. Now, and and you could do just the five in, in southern Utah, Zion, Bryce, Capitol Reef, Arches, Canyonlands. And uh, you know, I know people try to do it in a few days. Um, I'd recommend not doing that because you're mm-hmm. going to miss stuff. But sometimes that's all people have. So mm-hmm. you, you could do that. Now, I know we're rattling off a <laughs> lot of names quickly. And again, we'll put in the show notes a link to the National Park map where you can see mm-hmm. – uh, and some of these places aren't National uh, Park units, but y- you can see these places on the map there as well. Another cluster, if you will, is the whole New Mexico-Texas area. So on the northern end of this cluster would be White Sands National Park in uh, southern New Mexico. Also, Carlsbad Caverns is not too far from there. And then Guadalupe Mountains is pretty close to Carlsbad, maybe um, 90-minute drive west of of Carlsbad is Guadalupe Mountains. And if you're going to be down there, you might as well go to Big Bend. Now, Big Bend's a a few-hour drive from Carlsbad, but that area down there is is a fantastic uh, little loop that you can hit four great national parks. We also, I'll just throw in, we drove to El Capitan, New Mexico, to to visit the Smoky Bear Museum, which I think is— that was I, your dream come true. <laughs> I think that's we'll have to go back there. But I think that's that's another bonus place worth worth going by. Right. And then when we went to Colorado, we did Rocky Mountain National Park, Black Canyon of the Gunnison, Mesa Verde, and uh, Great Sand Dunes. Those were all spectacular. And then of course you've got so much great hiking there. You could go to Uray and Telluride. 
the the eastern part of Utah is close by. And, and so some of these clusters, as we're talking about, they overlap. Mm-hmm. You could get from sure. um, the Cortez area where uh, Mesa Verde is up to Utah, uh, up to Moab fairly quickly. And so that kind of overlaps what we talked about, the, the, the southern Utah, because you, you'd pass Canyonlands. Also, there's Hovenweep between those which is a, a very interesting sight to see there. And we did a whole podcast on those other places mm-hmm. like uh, Monument Valley and, and Valley of the Gods that are, that are down there in, in southeastern Utah. And then we could skip to the Pacific Northwest or at least the Seattle area. We've got three parks fairly close, uh, Mount Rainier National Park, Olympic National Park, North Cascades. There's also the San Juan Islands beautiful area. But again, know what you want to do in those parks because they're all mountainous, or at least they each have mountains. And like we said, if you're going to hike, that's more of a July, August, September thing in Mount Rainier. North Cascades, incredible hikes there. But again, we did a hike in late July and the snow was just finally off the trails. To go to Seattle and then be able to, to hit those three parks, that, that that's a good trip. It is a great trip. Now, Alaska is a biggie, eight parks in Alaska. When we did it, we did it in three separate trips, three different summers. Because for us, it's an easy flight from Seattle to Anchorage. It's inexpensive and it's quick. Now, a lot of people to get to Alaska is a long, expensive journey. So maybe you want to do all eight parks at the same time. To go to Denali, that was that's probably the easiest one to get to, don't you think? You fly to Anchorage, you know, you'd have to rent a car and, and drive up to Denali. That's probably the easiest one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure any of them are super easy. Wrangell, St. Elias is similar. It's a little bit longer of a drive. Just just something, a word of caution. Denali, you can drive right up to the entrance of Denali and all on paved roads. Wrangell St. Elias, the last, what, 30 to 50 miles is on a gravel road that's pretty mm-hmm. rough. Mm-hmm. So even rough. though you look at a map and you think, oh, we can just drive right there, there's there are some rough roads in right. Alaska. And then, so Glacier Bay, Katmai, Lake Clark, Kobuk Valley, and Gates of the Arctic, you all have to, you have to fly into them. You, you cannot drive. So that, of course, is an additional expense. I think one thing I would say, if you're planning to do all eight of them at one time, definitely save Kobuk Valley and Gates of the Arctic for the last parks because the weather up there can be very iffy. And a lot of times the day that you have planned to take your flight up there, it's stormy, it's cloudy, and the planes can't fly. I know that happens to a lot of people. And then it gets pushed back a day or two. So I would suggest building in an extra day or two onto that trip. Yeah, that's the hard thing, I think, to get used to in Alaska Weather delays can really affect the trip. And for people up in Alaska who are accustomed to this, who live there or or are tour guides, they just assume that you know that your tour might be on Tuesday, but that doesn't necessarily mean this Tuesday. (laughs) It could be um, or it could be any other day of the week. You, You might literally sit there for three days until the weather clears. And they do that for safety reasons. Oh, they, absolutely. There's no reason for you to mm. go out in a dangerous weather situation. You can have time delays uh, pretty frequently in Alaska. So moving on, Southern California and Nevada, there's Death Valley, Joshua Tree, Channel Islands. Those are all fairly close to each other. Some bonus places we talked about in our Outdoorsy in Vegas episode. We've got Mojave National Preserve. You've got Lake Mead National Recreation Area. And, of course, um, Valley of Fire, all kinds of great places you could add on to that trip. Now, moving up middle area of California, Yosemite, Kings and Sequoia, they are close to to each other. Now, Kings Canyon and Sequoia are literally adjacent to one another. Right. And it does kind of feel like one park. So you you definitely do both of those, although they're different. And 
we highly recommend driving back into the canyon in Kings Canyon in, in order to, to see it. Uh, Yosemite's to the north. Big park, crowded park. Again, be aware of the time of year you're going so that you can actually do the thing that you want to do so that you know, the, the weather will cooperate. Not super close to that, but you, you, would, you might add on is Lassen Volcanic. It's, it's more of a Northern California place. And we can't forget about Pinnacles. Oh, Pinnacles. little Pinnacles. Pinnacles <laughs> is on the west western side of the state. Mm-hmm. It's below San Jose. That also might be one that you would fit in if you're going to Channel Islands or Yosemite. Again, some of these are just, some of these parks are just out by themselves. But if you're in that Mm -hmm. area, Mm kind of mid to Northern California, Mm -hmm. Point Reyes is what is a national seashore. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's a national park unit just west of Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're going to go to Santa Rosa. <laughs> you have to go to Russian River Brewery. Of course. Also in Northern California, um, you've got the beautiful Redwoods National and State Parks that are managed together. Again, as Matt said, you could you could visit Lassen Volcanic at that point, too. It's not terribly far. We I think we did those on both the same visit. And then moving up north to Southern Oregon is Crater Lake. And that is that's one of our favorites. Not easy to get to from anywhere, really. So probably if you're gonna if you're gonna cluster that on, it would probably be with the Northern California parks. And a place that we've never visited, Oregon Caves National Monument. Mm-hmm. It's a national park site unit in Southern Oregon. We get a lot of recommendations from people that we got to see that. And if you're in, in Central Oregon, the town of Bend is a, a fun town to visit, and a lot of a lot of outdoor activity close by Bend. Right. So so switching off the West Coast into the Midwest, upper upper Midwest. Two parks that are fairly close to each other are Voyagers in northern Minnesota, right on the border with Canada. And when you're up there, it might make sense then to just drive straight east. We went to Grand Portage, mm-hmm. and we took the boat to Isle Royal. Back when we did it, you could also get to Isle Royal on a ferry from Copper Harbor that was in in upper PI of Michigan. Right. I think a lot of people do it that way. And for all of these recommendations, do your current research because these things change. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Northeast, when we did Acadia, which, of course, is way up in Maine, fortunately, my sister and my mom live in Portland, Maine. So we went to visit them, got a family visit in, uh, went up to Acadia. And then we also went down to Washington, D.C., where Matt's sister lives. And we went with her and her husband to Shenandoah. And that that was an easy drive from D.C. So again, as we mentioned earlier, we kind of combined some family visits with a few parks it worked out great. And of course, in the Washington, D.C. area, the, the whole National Mall has tons of national park sites. Mm-hmm. The White House is a national park site, uh, Washington Monument, all of those places. Uh, if you're, it, It's certainly worth a day. You, you can't do it in a day, but it's certainly worth a day to go see all of those great, great places. It is for sure. In the Mid-Atlantic, Congaree National Park, which is in South Carolina, it was fun. I always wanted to see um, Charleston. So we flew to Charleston, spent a few days there, rented a car, and then drove to Congaree. And that was a great visit. Now, when we went to Congaree, then we also took a day. We went to the town of Asheville, which was an interesting town, mm-hmm. college town, and, and it was it was fun to see Asheville, but it was also on our way to Great Smoky Mountains. Right. So those uh, Congaree and Great Smoky Mountains aren't too far from each other. Now, you could also – we did not do this, but the Blue Ridge Parkway is a national park service unit that, that goes um, through Appalachia. If you drive that north – from the Great Smoky Mountains, you'll get to Shenandoah. So that you could also, if you wanted to do Shenandoah and Great Smoky Mountains together, you could also do the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and, and get those three in. Now, another park that we did when we went to Great Smoky Mountain was, and I'm getting into the next cluster kind of, we we did drive up to Kentucky and see Mammoth Cave. Mm-hmm. And so there's a few in the Midwest 
that aren't particularly close to each other, but you could you could do a driving loop um, and and see a lot of these uh, mammoth caves is one of them. Certainly, you could fly to St. Louis and go to the, the Gateway Arch. You could fly to Chicago and uh, go to Indiana Dunes, which is uh, very close to the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Cuyahoga Valley is there south of of Cleveland, and then of course. Right in the middle of the country, you got hot springs, yeah. uh, which is not really th- that close to any other parks. But uh, there's interesting things, mm-hmm. you know, in that area. We visited family in Kansas City and then drove down to hot springs to to hit that one, mm-hmm, which is in Arkansas. Now, Florida, the the parks were fairly close to each other. We originally we flew into Miami so that we could then fly down to the Virgin Islands. So we visited that first. But then on our way back, we hit Biscayne Bay, the Everglades, and we drove down to Key West and took the boat over to Dry Tortugas National Park. So those are all fairly close. You can do easily do them all in one trip. And then the probably the the most the longest travel to get to is the whole Hawaii American Samoa group of parks. Now, Hawaii has two national parks, Haleakala, which is on Maui, and Hawaii Volcanoes, which is on the Big Island. Now, unfortunately, they are on two different islands, so you're going to have to get between those. You could fly into Maui and then then take a a plane over to the Big Island and what I think think we stayed in Hilo mm-hmm. when we visited we Hawaii volcanoes. Also, to get to American Samoa, the only way you can get to American Samoa from the United States is on a flight from Honolulu. And at the time we did it, uh, the flights were only on Mondays and Thursdays. I think that's still the case, but you know, do your own research if you're planning a trip back. Nine, ten years ago when we went, the airfare from Honolulu to American Samoa was about $750. Is that, per, that was per person? That was per mm-hmm. person, and today it's around 900 So that kind of makes sense in terms of uh, you know ad- adjusting for inflation. That's also – I think the government subsidized those, those flights so that they'd be more expensive if, if the government didn't subsidize those flights – so depending on where you are, you have to get to Honolulu. Right. Easier, it's easier for us to, from Seattle to get there. But your cost, if you're, you know, if you live in New York City, to get to Honolulu is more expensive. But the American Samoa, you got to go through Honolulu. Once you get there, it was like going to any other. You get to Pago Pago, and it's like any other small town in in America or small city. Costs were not very high. The hotel rooms weren't expensive. Food wasn't expensive. But it's it's just the cost of getting there. Absolutely. And then, of course, you have to rent a car uh, once you're there. So I think we – did we hit them all? <laughs> I think so. Mostly. I think somebody's going to mm-hmm. figure out that we missed one I'm national sure. park in there somewhere. But that's generally how we think about the different groups of, of parks geographically. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to touch on briefly, because I know that this is going uh, kind of long, we've gotten a few emails. People ask us how we find all the places that we visit. Um, and, and so this would be in addition to the national parks, um, how we find some of these other places. So I just wanted to mention, if you Google national parks and then put in a state, so national parks, Montana, an NPS website will come up that lists every national park site in that state. So whether it's a, a monument, a historical park, it will list everything. And it's extremely helpful. So when we're going to, let's say, you know, Glacier National Park in Montana, I'll Google that and find everything else that's in the state and see what's close. And I also, so Google's like my best friend. <laughs> I also, as far as hiking and things, I'll Google the top 10 hikes in Glacier National Park, or I'll Google hidden gems around Glacier National Park. There are tons of blog posts that come up. People talk about their favorite hikes. People talk about little other fun places to go when you're visiting the park. So that's how um, I find a lot of them is just by Googling various things. And when we do find a hike or you find a hike that you really want to do, I go on all trails. Now, we do have an all trails account. I think it's $30 a year. And this is not an advertisement. We don't get paid from alltrails.com. But if you plug in a trail 
in all trails, it'll also then say other hikes close by mm -hmm. that particular hike. And sometimes we'll, we'll be looking at one hike, but we'll find a better one or one more suited for us that's close by. So that that's another resource that, that we use to kind of determine what, what hikes we want to do. Right. And as far as how did we find lodging, basically hotels and motels, I like to use a site, a booking site, like let's say Expedia. I'll, I'll put in a town, you know, like the towns of Moab and Springdale have tons of hotels. So I'll plug in, you know, Springdale, Utah, and the dates we're going to go. And then all of the hotel rooms pop up with their prices and with their reviews. And I I'm kind of a freak about reading their reviews because you can learn so much good and bad from what from other people's experience. Yeah, and some, sometimes it's not just the star rating. We have found hotels that we want to go to or motels from negative reviews. Somebody complained that, that the you know you had to walk up two flights of stairs to get to your room. Well, that that's for us. That's not a negative. And so it's not just positive or negative reviews. You also, you read the stories of people's experiences. One time, uh, I don't know if it was a motel or a lodge or what it was, and, and a woman complained. I guess this is a complaint. She said, uh, the hotel was fine, except I woke up in the middle, middle of the night and I saw a mouse on my husband's head. <laughs> <laughs> When I read that, and that was at the very beginning of our park's journey, when I read that, I thought, what? Yeah, no, no so you don't want um, no mouse on head. No mouse on head. I'm kind of scared of that now when so I we go look, in. We look for mouse on head reviews. We do. We do. We try to make sure there are, there are no mouse on head encounters. But the other thing I should mention I, I no longer book our rooms on those sites like Expedia because I found out, and maybe it's different now, but I found out, found out that the cancellation policy, if you book through some of those sites like Expedia, is not good. You have to cancel way far ahead. And if you book directly with the hotel, sometimes you can cancel within 24 hours. So I do it as research, but then I, I go to the hotel website, that particular hotel, and I book it through them. Some of the refund policies. I, I know we've had this experience with Expedia. It's the number of hoops you have mm -hmm. to jump through to get the refund. It's it's not worth the refund. It's so, not. so we just, mm -hmm. whenever possible, we, we book direct. Exactly. I know Expedia will love hearing that on our podcast, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. They need to make it easier <laughs> to get a refund. Yeah. So I think the last thing we wanted to mention... We had the question, if we had any suggestions on saving money while visiting all the parks. And, you know, I think our first suggestion always is buy the yearly park pass. It costs $80. It will get you into all the parks for a year. It pays for itself very, very quickly. Right. If you're going to visit a lot of national parks. Right. And can I just say, too, you don't need to buy one per person. So there are spaces on the back to put two people's names. So it could be your name and your significant other. It could be your name and your brother's. It could be your name and anybody's. So it's good for two people. And it's good for the carload of people that is also with you. So if you buy one park pass and your whole family is in the backseat of the car, you all get in on that pass. So just a note about that. And if you are a senior, if you're 62 years or older, you can buy a lifetime pass for $80. So you spend the $80 and it's good for the rest of your life. Now, one money-saving tip that we started doing a little bit just just because we like it, but it also saves us a little bit of money is you can camp sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. a, a trip doesn't have to be all motel or all camping, right? We we can camp a couple of days, spend a night at a motel, you have a, a bed and a shower, and then you go back out camping for another couple of days. So mix some camping in, and that, that'll save you uh, some money. And of course, you know, drive when you can. Mm -hmm, sure. People are driving more these days because because of COVID. Right. Save, saves on airfare and rental car. And then, uh, you know, we touched on this already, but if you can limit some of your restaurant meals, take your own food, take advantage of the happy hour prices, go to a food truck, you know, order takeout, all those, you know, you can get some savings on that. So after all of this, what would be some of our best tips? I think we talked about one before. When you're planning and, and trying to decide this this epic adventure, 
does it really make sense to go to every single park? It, it certainly might. Uh, and it's certainly hard to tell whether or not you want to see that thing or mm-hmm. park without having gone there. So sometimes you, it don't, don't eliminate something off your list because you don't think you're going to like it. It might, might be incredible. But uh, does it make sense to, to, to go to all the parks that are just go to them just because they're on a list? I agree. And then I'd say don't set a deadline for getting to all the parks. Take your time, relish every single park and enjoy them. And, uh, you know, it's not a race. And I think that that was one of our bigger regrets is that we kind of felt like we raced through them. And I guess another tip would be set manage your expectations that you might not be able to see the park in a single visit. Now, I know some people mm-hmm. in certainly some parks that are hard to get to, it might be the only time in your life that you're going to that, but it, it might take several visits to see all the things you want, and it's better to enjoy the site that you're right in front of mm-hmm. than thinking about getting, you know, getting to, you know, we got to get back in the car and get to that next thing in, in, in a hurry. You know, enjoy what you're doing at the time, and maybe you have to come back and See, see something at a different time or a different season. Exactly. You know, spending $100,000 on this journey uh, is certainly a lot of money. But if we had to do it again, we would absolutely, absolutely do it again. It was I, I felt it was worth every cent, didn't you, Matt? I do. And I think we learned a lot of things that we just couldn't imagine. I mean, the the I think it's increased our intellectual curiosity about the parks and the history, the both the natural history and the human history of these of these areas. We've learned so many things about parks and and vegetation and animals and and mm-hmm. the landscape that we had no idea before we started. And the thing that struck me, I kind of thought, and, and maybe you did too, that we would do this journey and. It felt a little bit like checking things off of a checklist and that we would get to the end and feel like, okay, so we've done that. You know, what what do we do next? But when we got to the end of and went to the last park on the list, to me, it felt more like a beginning than an end. It felt like that was almost it was a sampler, if you will. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go back to nearly every park again and it didn't feel like the end of something it really felt like the beginning of something and i remember when we were done and we we resumed our previous lives and went back to work for 5 years and it was it was really tough to try to go back to the way things used to be after spending 2 years in the parks it just didn't feel right and we just decided that we needed to to go back out and see what else was out there and go back to these places and do all the things we missed and so so the journey continues yeah and i think our list is still as long now <laughs> as it was 10 years ago when we started all this so that's that's good it's it's still the beginning If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobaness, or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. The books that this podcast is based on are available on amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by our fantastic team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. Okay, Carrie, K-Gold, we have to go now. It's time to strap on the 40-pound pack and hike to the top of another mountain. (laughs) I haven't fully decided on my new name yet. Oh, you have it? (laughs) Still working on it. Is Butta still in the running? (laughs) Never. (laughs) 